the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Master Payments. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I must come today and confess before you a very serious character flaw. It's been with me from the time I was a small child. It has been the source of much discomfort in my life. It has caused others great anguish of heart. It's simply this. Stepping quickly into action. Speaking too quickly. Moving forward in my thinking and not waiting upon God. I saw that most clearly when I was in college. I was an employee of the gymnasium, the coach. I was responsible for the swimming pool and the program of classes in the swimming pool. I was taking a class in tumbling. And when the final exam came, your whole grade was based on your performance plus a written exam each 50% of the grade I aced an A in the written part of the exam and when the time came for the performance I was at the front of the line and Jim Burns the coach came to me and he said, Ray, I want you to go to the back of the line. I want you to be last. Well, I was somewhat offended because I was very keyed up and I was ready to do my routine. But I obeyed and I went to the back of the line. Frankly, I was very put out and very upset. I waited patiently as everyone else performed their routine ahead of me. And finally, it was my turn to do my tumbling. And I did so perfectly and received an A for the class. Later, the coach said to me, Do you know why I sent you to the back of the line? I said, no, I don't. He said, you were upset with me, weren't you? I could see it all over your face. Yes, I was very upset with you. Well, Ray, let me tell you why I sent you to the back of the line. You always want to charge. You want to race. You want to go fast. But I knew that if I let you go first, you would be so tight, you would mess up your routine. I wanted you to get that A. So I sent you to the back of the line to chill, to cool down, to get mad if you needed to and then release it so that when it came time for you to do the routine, you would be able to perform the way you are capable of performing. I thank Jim. I never forgot that. But I look back on my life and I see many times when I have quickly stepped 
or rushed, I should say, in my thinking and my speaking and my acting. And all of that simply proves a lack of faith. The character flaw that I have had running through the center of my heart, that God has now been working with and disciplining me over for many years, is that of not apprehending the presence and dominion of God over everything, but somehow feeling in myself that if I'm to survive, I must take some action, I must speak, I must preach, I must confront, I must defend. And all of this comes out of my heart when it's extremely raw. I'll say things, I'll do things, I'll take actions. Another way of putting it is that I'll put up with so much and then I'm finally fed up and I'll just mow grass. And this is extremely destructive to the people who are close to me and people with whom I minister. So this weakness, this character flaw, truly comes directly from the fall of Adam. It comes directly from the lie of Satan. You will not die. Charge, go for it. Get her done. Do whatever you have to do. Protect yourself, guard yourself, defend yourself. Now, by God's blessing, most of the time, I don't function this way. Most of the time, I do not act prematurely as I have grown in Jesus Christ. Because to act prematurely is a characteristic of infancy. We expect a child to be impatient. We expect a child to demand what they want when they want it. But a man grown in the Lord or a woman mature in Christ should not walk that way. And I have. I was awakened last night at three with the Lord calling me to come into his presence. He wanted to talk with me and so I came. And he confronted me very firmly with an area where I have preached and spoken prematurely, where I did not wait on the timing of God. And the result has frankly been catastrophic. This has come out of a rawness in my mind and my heart. So, this is one of the lessons that the Lord is teaching me. And as I prayed through this last night, the presence of the Holy Spirit came powerfully with the assurance of his love and his forgiveness. But also with a don't do it again. Don't go there again. Wait on the Lord. Take time to wait on the Lord. 
one of the lessons that I'm learning more and more in the depths of my heart is the art of celestial walking slowly. That comes from Jesus. It comes from heaven. To learn to move slowly with God is not laziness. It's the very highest type of zeal, which is watchful promptness. The fault of an ever-hasty spirit causes great pain and anguish in my life and in others' lives. God is calling for me to be perfectly vigilant and keep my eyes ever on, on Jesus and to move with him in the present moment, but not to be rash, not to be overhasty, to take time. This has introduced my soul to a whole world of progress in the Christian life. And even yet, there are times when I fail in this. And for that, I am most contrite. When we rush, we disrespect others. We don't acknowledge their authority. We cause pain and anguish and separation. Now, if you recognize what I'm talking about in your own life, you'll know that the answer is to go before the Lord and to take time to sit in His presence and to wait on His word for you. The greatest lack of the Christian life in today's church is a lack of taking deep time for thoughtful, exhaustive prayer. What I mean by that is to take the subject in all of its details before the Lord, taking time to put out our whole heart and mind in prayer and taking time for the Holy Spirit to speak to us in the depths of our spirit and to reveal to us the full will of God regarding this. In my case, I knew what the Lord was saying to me in terms of the end result. But because of opposition and bitter criticism and judgments and harshness and cutting off I allowed that to give me the bum rush now I'm responsible those who acted in whatever way they chose to act are not responsible I'm responsible when I get angry I'm responsible when I feel bad I'm in charge of my own feelings in Jesus. So I can't blame anyone else. I can only say 
that out of the rawness of my heart, I did not wait appropriately for God to bring to pass what he promised me. Now, the Lord has made magnificent promises to me going all the way back to dreams and visions when I was just a young boy about revival in this last time. But I know that I cannot bring to pass what God promised me as a child. And some have said to me, Pastor, what you have said God spoke to you has never happened. So how long are you going to wait for God to do that? Well, forever if necessary. I know that what God has promised to me, only he can bring to pass. That only in his mercy and his grace and his kindness can he bring it to pass. But he wants my cooperation. And then I, when I speak rashly or I speak with unkind judgment, or when I have anger or bitterness in my heart, the Holy Spirit leaves me. When I rush into action because somebody has to do something, the Holy Spirit leaves. So it's necessary that we would spend whatever hours we need to spend in prayer to acquire more light on the question of these divine things that God has promised to us. We need a better vision of the scriptural teaching regarding the ways of God. We need to have created in our hearts an interior vision of what the Holy Spirit intends to do and what steps he would have us take to accomplish that. And when we take in our own hands, when I take in my own hands the need to protect myself or be defensive or just take action because I'm sick and tired of what's going on, people get hurt and the work of God is harmed. And I have on occasion done this, on more than one occasion. And it calls for deep repentance. It calls for turning to the Lord and waiting on Him. When the money is short, and there are timing crises that we are facing. When you perhaps in your job must make a certain sales goal or you will be put on probation or you will be fired. Well, I've got to go do something. I've got to make it work. No. Wait on the Lord. Trust him and he will do it. 
when a relationship becomes unbearable and attacks begin to happen, criticism begins to take place, coldness and iciness and flintiness begins to be the condition of the day, what are we to do? Wait on the Lord. And I want to step up and say, I'm justified in what I say. I'm just protecting myself from your attack. Wrong. Wrong. In every area of life, we are called to learn the celestial art of walking slowly with the Lord, gently with the Lord, with tenderness and kind mercy. My dad knew that this characteristic was in me as I worked on the farm with farm equipment. He would say to me, Raymond, don't force it. If you force it, you will break it. If you force it, you will break it. I've broken many things in my life, and for that I am very sorry. It's a lesson that I must learn if God is to accomplish all that he desires to accomplish in the work of the gospel. We must have the province of God functioning in our lives in order to obtain a depth of sweetness, of experience, which would then allow that sweetness, tenderness, to flow through divine channels to other men and women. Nothing is accomplished in the work of God by rawness or rashness. Nothing is accomplished in the work of God by functioning and acting according to our own will, to our own personality, to our own desires. God orders the steps of a righteous man or a righteous woman. And I must be willing, and you must be willing, to walk in that divine order according to his timing and his way. I used to always say, yes, God always answers prayer, but he's always late. And that's true. To human flesh, God seems to always be late. But there's a divine plan in that. He's testing to see 
if we will go our own way at our own pace or if we are willing to wait upon him. Remember, God is the one who created time. He is above time. And if in your desperate place financially, you think you have to go do something, just do something, other than cry out to the Lord and wait for his rhema word of direction, then you will fail this test and God will have to bring you around to it again and again and again, or else he cannot use you in the work of the gospel. It takes time to prepare to be used by God. The greater the work that he has called us to do, the longer preparation God gives us for that work. We're so eager as human beings to get into an enterprise, to open a business, to start our job. To get moving, because somehow if we're moving, we're doing something. <laughs> you know, I've struggled with this one issue for so many years. I can preach on the radio. I can have a full day of ministering to people. I can hold a meeting in the evening. I can come to bed and be utterly exhausted with the burden of ministry and say to myself, why am I tired? I haven't done anything all day. Well, why am I tired? Because I've been engaged in the warfare of the kingdom of heaven all day. But you see, in my background, you only are doing something worthwhile when you're getting dirty while you're doing it. I was raised on a farm. When you're hoeing out the field and you can see the weeds are all gone, when you're thinning the carrots and you can see that the carrots are now going to grow and prosper and you've watered them, when you've been in the hot sun on the tractor seat, you've plowed a field, you've harrowed a field, you've disked a field, you've planted a field, okay, now you should be tired at night and you have to wash the dirt off. But I'm not that kind of farmer anymore. I'm a, I'm a farmer for the souls of people. The work I do is not physically dirty. I have to deal with spiritual dirt. And the washing is not with the water from the faucet. The washing is by the blood of Jesus, by the water of the Holy Spirit as he comes and does his work in the souls of men and women. That's why when I foolishly imagine that I am not working and that I have so many things to attend to and yet I then don't think I can have time to pray, I just have to, I have to go, go, go. I've, I've got a friend who always teases me because I'll begin saying, I got to do, I got to, got to, got to, and I'll list out a whole bunch of things I got to do. Well, there's only one thing needful. And that one thing is to patiently wait on God and do exactly what he tells me when he tells me to do it. 
and not to have a list of got-tos, not to try to position myself as I've got to get her done. All of that came out of the fall. I'm finding, very honestly, that waiting on God is where the raw gold is mined. That prayer is the mint in which these moments of raw digging for gold, that gold is then coined into heavenly wealth in the prayer closet. Now, this all takes time. And if we are so eager to get into our enterprise or our work or our get-or-done, we will delay being prepared for the great mission that God has for us to do. Each of us, if we're going to be used by God, must go through the school of the Holy Spirit where we are taught and disciplined, where we learn the trade of holiness and dependence upon Jesus, where we learn the art of celestial slowness in waiting on God. The preparation must go deeper and enter into the very qualities of the heart and the will. There must be the willingness to patiently endure. There must be a, an apprehension in our hearts. There must be that mental vision of what God is doing in us. There must be a, a new balancing of judgment, impartiality of decision, a largeness of divine gentleness. Divine gentleness for those with whom we deal. And frankly, there is nothing that prepares us for this like suffering. Lonely sorrow. Years of patient waiting upon God. In one sense, I've been waiting all of my life for what Jesus wanted to do, but during those years, there were many runaway wagons in my life that ended up wrecked. The real waiting on God did not begin until 1989. Actually, in prayer in 1987. And I've been patiently waiting on God for His promises given to me when I was a child since 1987. 88, 89. It was in 89 that God took me into the very painful cauldron in the heat and the fire where I finally came to an end of myself 
and said, okay, I'll wait on you, Lord. But many times since, in the rawness of my heart, I have made very serious blunders and hurt people. Now there is a whole world of understanding that needs to come to us by studying how God deals with his servants in the scripture. I think immediately of of Moses. When I think of Moses, let me just turn to it. Let me share with you What happened with Moses? He was raised in the court of Pharaoh. He was separated from his mother at a very young age. He was put in a basket. He was drawn out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter. And he was taken into the court. Now in the court, he learned all of the art of war and science. He learned how to get things done. He was a very bright, fine, beautiful child, exceptionally wise. And one day after Moses was grown up, mature, a man, He went out to where his own people were laboring. He watched them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Moses had been moved in his heart to identify with the slave people of Israel, not his stepmother, not his adopted mother, not the Pharaoh with all their pomp and wealth and all the pleasures of life, he didn't identify with that. He identified with his slave people. And he sees this Egyptian taskmaster whipping a Hebrew. He looks this way and that way and then moves forward and with a blow kills this Egyptian and then hides him, buries him in the sand. Now, he knew how to kill. He'd been taught the art of warfare, hand-to-hand combat, weapons. He probably was even carrying a weapon. We don't know how he killed this Egyptian, but he certainly did. Now, we find in other places in Scripture that Moses had in his mind that he was to be a deliverer, that he was to deliver his people out of the hand of Pharaoh. And so he sees that the first step he needs to take is to kill somebody, to start a war. How many of the children of Israel would have been killed had Moses had his way and started a bloody revolution? There would have been a a civil war between the slaves and the Egyptians, and many would have died on both sides. Now the next day he goes out again and this time he sees two Hebrews fighting with each other. One 
severely beating the Hebrew brother. Now, as he watches this, he asks the one who is doing the severe beating, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man answers, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? This is Exodus, the second chapter, verse 14. And then Moses became very afraid, and he thought, what I did must have become known. Well, of course it became known. It went like wildfire through the whole camp. And word finally got to Pharaoh, and he sent someone to assassinate Moses. Moses, hearing about it, fled into the wilderness to live in Midian. And there he sat down by a well in his Egyptian clothes, looking like an Egyptian. And I'm sure he must have said to himself, what am I going to do? I can't go back to Egypt. They'll kill me. And I wonder at that point if he began to pray. He had acted very rashly out of the rawness of his heart and his love for his people. And now, what is he going to do? What can he do? He only has the clothes that's on his back. They're Egyptian clothes. He's probably without money. As he's sitting there, seven women, daughters of one man, came to draw water to water their sheep. And some shepherds came along, and they drove these women with their flock away from the well. Moses, seeing the injustice of this, immediately came and rescued them. These shepherds were not going to fight with an Egyptian warrior. And so they watered their flock and they took them on. They, they went home and Moses sat down beside the well again. Now what's he going to do? So the daughters get home early and they're asked, well, what happened that you got home so early today? And they answered in verse 19, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And the father said, Well, where is he? Why did you leave him? Invite him to come and have something to eat. Let's show him hospitality. So Moses went and sat and ate with this man and his seven daughters. Now probably they asked him to stay the night. And probably knowing the custom of that day, stay the next night. And Zipporah, the eldest daughter, thought he was a pretty handsome man. And Moses' eye was drawn to her. And so the agreement was made. He would live with Zipporah and her father and sisters, and he would take care of the sheep. 
So he, he moved from being a powerful prince of Egypt to being a shepherd, wiping the nose of the sheep, anointing their heads with oil to keep the insects off, guarding them from the wild beasts of the desert, taking them to their pastures, spending a great deal of time by himself. In fact, 40 years by himself. 40 years of herding sheep to learn how to herd God's sheep. And Moses was going to have to have every hour of his alone time to be prepared to shepherd the sheep of God for the next many, many years. The scriptures say that Moses was the humblest man on the face of the earth. How did Moses become so humble? By herding sheep, by suffering the cold and the heat, until finally when God called him, he said, Lord, I can't even talk. He'd been silent in the desert for so many years, he thought he had even lost his ability to speak. God said, I'll be your tongue. And Moses, you have a brother, Aaron. He knows how to speak very well. I'm going to make you like a God to him, and he's going to be your prophet. Year after year after year, and finally at the age of 80, God said, Moses is now ready to go lead my people. John the Baptist, he spent 30 years in the wilderness preparing for the work of two years. Jesus spent 30 years getting ready to minister for three years. Simeon, the old man, spent a whole lifetime preparing to be able to hold the infant, the baby Jesus, and to pronounce a glorious prophecy over him. He was over 80 years preparing for these few moments of ministry. What we call preparation for a life work is often so utterly human and so stuffed with man. Man-made theories, man-made ideas, man-made goals, these are often a complete hindrance to the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of God 
the preparation for the work of God involves many things beyond the grasp of our thought. A short work with a thorough divine preparation behind it will accomplish more than a work of many years with only human qualification. You can go get your doctorate. You can have your master's. You can have your Bachelor of Divinity or your Master's of Divinity. That's not how one is prepared for the work of of God. Rather, we must take time to be in the presence of God. We must remember and bring to mind who we are, where we are, and what we're doing, and to keep before our mind the reality of the divine presence of Jesus. When we walk in this way under the discipline of the Holy Spirit, it's often very painful. We must move quietly and slowly, keeping pace with God's will. We must not give way to rashness as I have done so many times in my life. This character flaw of being impatient, speaking in a manner that is destructive to others. We must be healed of this character flaw if we're to be used by the Almighty God. We must have a balance in our soul of calmness and love. Amid all circumstances, sweetness of spirit, regardless of the provocations, regardless of the accusations, regardless of the judgments, we must keep that sweetness of spirit that flows out of a suffering time of silence before God. This is what prevents us from uttering rash words or forming harsh judgments or giving too quick of a decision by an impetuous breaking of relationship, breaking of the beautiful flow of the Holy Spirit through our hearts and in our lives. How many thousands of times In my past life, have I made a bargain, written a letter, made a phone call, sent a text, made a decision? I'm going to move ahead no matter what. People will just have to deal with it. How many times I've uttered a rebuke or before the throne of God spoken or expressed a thought too soon. I've had to go back at times and say, Lord, would you just erase that last prayer? I know it did not please you. It was out of an impetuous heart, out of a sore, raw heart. Please forgive me. 
if I am able to be perfectly dead in deep and quiet union with God, I will be able to move gently and slowly with his will, and certainly the result will be infinitely better than would have been accomplished by my rushing, my disregarding, my disrespecting. I am, in all honesty, searching after God, searching after Jesus, to learn the celestial art of walking slowly in God's time. There's a passage of scripture I want to share with you. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is Psalm 27, verse 4. I'm just going to read through it. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle, and he will set me high upon a rock. And then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. And then verse 7, when I have acted out of the rawness of my heart in the face of judgments and accusations. The psalmist says, Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, Seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. O God, my Savior, though my father and mother forsake me, And I would add, though my brother and sister would forsake me. Though my friends would forsake me. The scripture says, the Lord will receive me. Verse 11, this is Psalm 27, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living 
wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. That word wait in the Hebrew means to bind together, to twist together, that is, to collect together, to hope in the strength of what you have been bound in. Wait on the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. We are just a few minutes left in this broadcast. I pray that this broadcast has been helpful to you to cause you to turn and wait on the Lord, to read the word and to pray. I pray it's been healing for your heart. I want to thank a dear brother in Waterloo, Waterloo, Kansas. Waterloo, Iowa, I'm sorry. Waterloo, Iowa, he touched the button on our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and sent a wonderful offering for the broadcast. Thank you, my dear brother. I'd like to hear from you. I need to hear from you. As the Holy Spirit prompts you to give, would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That address again, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you today with waiting upon the Lord. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.